This is TechWave, a Gartner IT podcast. Previously, talking technology. Today we have uh, another edition of our feature that we call the Maverick Maybe. We've got uh, my colleague Lydia Cloherty-Jones and my colleague Frank Boytendijk. Frank is one of the leaders of the Maverick program and, and Lydia is an author. She's uh, recently brought her Maverick project on positive privacy uh, to Gartner clients. And I'm, I'm really interested in, in talking to her about it today. But first, I'm going to ask Frank to introduce himself and then tell us a little bit about the Maverick program. Frank, go ahead. Hi, Whit. This is, this is Frank, and thank you. So the Maverick program is Gartner's incubator, you could say, for unconventional research. And it works in multiple ways. In, in Maverick research, an analyst can take a minority position, so go against common wisdom. Or as an analyst, you can introduce a whole new topic that, that is worth considering, but we don't do that yet. Or we can explore unconventional timelines, like uh, life in the year 2050. And readers of Maverick Research, we asked, we surveyed, they, they recognized that they don't have to agree, but that it is challenging their thinking. That's what the Maverick program is about. That makes sense. And in fact, the way that we do the Maverick Maybe uh, feature on uh, on the podcast is that I start at zero maybes. So I start out um, at, a, at a position where um, I'm refusing to participate in the consensus uh, on the Maverick research at all. But then I add maybes, and five maybes equals a yes. But as Frank points out, it's not that if I don't get to five maybes that we're not successful. Um, in in fact, uh, I've served as a mentor on some Maverick projects. And one of the things that I often tell the authors is, if I'm not agreeing with you, you must be doing something right. So today, I don't want you to take away the idea that um, Lydia's uh, positive privacy maverick uh, demands my agreement in order for it to be of value to you. You might fully agree with it right away, and whether you do or not, you're going to hear things that I think are going to help you think in ways that are going to refresh your perspective on privacy and things like that. So Lydia, uh, thanks again so much for joining us on the podcast. Could you introduce yourself and um, then introduce the, the positive privacy maverick project that you put together? Go ahead. Sure, thanks. And hi, Frank. Hi, Wit. Thank you so much uh, for having me be a guest on your podcast. I am honored to be here, and I'm very much looking forward to a lively conversation. So I'm Lydia Flaherty-Jones. I'm an analyst in the analytics group at Gartner, and my maverick called Positive Privacy introduces the concept um, that advises our clients under our Maverick research program, so remembering it is unconventional, um, introduces this framework to ignore data privacy law, absolutely ignore it. And the premise here is that by ignoring the law, we will maximize not only consumer happiness, but drive more robust analytics and more robust data value from data by adopting what I call positive privacy instead. So ignore privacy law, adopt positive privacy instead. It will maximize happiness all around and drive more business value from data. So there are a bunch of laws. I've read your research and you're very clear about the fact that what you're not saying, and tell me if I get this wrong, you're not saying disobey the law. You're not saying choose to break the law. What you are saying is, 
emphasize something else. And so I want to first make sure that I've heard you right. And then I want you to tell me what I should be doing um, if the answer is not necessarily uh, obsessive compliance. So tell me, did I understand you? And tell me where I should be going if I'm, a, if I'm an IT leader. Sure, sure. That's a great question, right? The, the focus is ignoring the law, right? We still operate, still operate within it. In fact, when you follow positive privacy, a necessary result is that there'll be compliance, but it is not the focus. It is not the outcome determinative uh, value system. It's a completely different value system that requires just ignoring it, setting them aside, but still operating within it as a byproduct. And the way the way I came to this idea is that there's just there the law is not the right framework for privacy because privacy is about balancing protecting the individual that might be named in data, balancing that with innovation and with driving value for data, including for that very person who's mentioned in it. And so when you use a legal framework that's punitive in nature, you're driving negative outcomes. You're not maximizing happiness, you're creating frustration. And so the alternative here, positive privacy is a seven-step framework that goes through uh, positivity, which is P for privacy, Rallying for change, which is the R, um, being quite aware of the inquiries that you should be making of your customers, getting to know your consumer customers better, and validating their preferences, right? Getting to know them, validating their preferences, abandoning trying to control downstream disputes. And that's really a key thing here. There's this obsession somehow downstream misuse can be prevented. And it simply can't. And certainly legal punishment frameworks doesn't help us get there. Instead, it's about being more uh, positive to maximize your experiences with the consumer and complying with best practices, respecting local norms. And that's another challenge of the law. The law cannot accommodate all of the global cultural, intercultural norms around privacy. And that's because privacy means means different things to different people. And right, and when people invoke privacy, they're incredibly irrational about the uses of their data. It's highly context specific. So for all those reasons, that negative framework of law just doesn't work. It's not workable. It devalues data. It doesn't drive good outcomes for consumers and a whole host of other reasons why by really focusing more on a positive privacy framework, it's a, it maximizes happiness and not negativity. That through ethical behavior, uh, defined by my own ethics, um, through, through ethical and, and meaningful and intentional behavior, I essentially um, obviate almost even the necessity for law. So, so let's, let's look at this from a, from a, a bunch of different perspectives. Let's, let's mess with it the way that a philosopher might. I mean, one of the things is, but what if I'm a bad person, Lydia? So what if I'm a bad person and, and, and my idea of how data should be used is counter to the idea that my customer has, because my customer is a good person, I'm a bad person, um, by a you know commonly referenced framework of altruism versus selfishness. So you know, in that case, shouldn't I be following the law instead of following my heart, as it were? Does that make sense as a way of thinking about it? 
Sure, absolutely. And and my answer to that is if you have um, nefarious actors in your organization, then the solution isn't to stop collecting data from consumers who crave personalized experiences for which the data is absolutely necessary. The solution is to use other mechanisms to eradicate the nefarious behavior. Because if, a, if you have a person in your organization that has intentions in conflict with your ethical values, that's a that's not a data issue. Uh, that's a that's a human resources and a, uh, a people culture issue yeah. that doesn't have to be resolved by not collecting the data. That's interesting. Okay, so that makes sense. So, so that's a that's more of a that's that's farther upstream than the than the than the the bridge that I'm that I'm standing on here. All right, so that makes sense. Is it is it oversimplifying to say that one of the things that you're describing is do the right thing and the customers will follow? Is that am I uh, you know you you had a PRI VACY framework that you laid out. Am I am, am I oversimplifying or distilling in a, in an improper way when I when I think of it that way? You know, I, I think it actually raises an interesting question that there's a lot of confusion between privacy, security, and ethics. And the positive privacy framework isn't designed to be an ethical framework. It's designed to be a privacy framework. So it's not addressing security at all, and it's not. It's not an ethical framework either, although by following positive privacy, you will necessarily be engaging in ethical behavior and doing the right thing, but it's not the focus. The focus is creating a positive experience, not because you're a good person or not because you made the right choice as a representative of the organization, but you did it because you're looking at the perspective of the consumer and the data and the person that's identified in the data. So you're really focusing on the experience being more positive, not necessarily from an ethical standpoint, but from a happiness standpoint. So it's the philosophy around maximizing happiness by eliminating negativity. And ethics can, you can have negativity that drives good ethics. You don't necessarily have to have positivity. So I would separate out the ethics and privacy, but that gave me a great opportunity to also say this has nothing to do with security. Security, yeah, security is universal. There's you know, massive agreement to um, you know, prevent fraud with data and prevent you know, all the things that security is designed to protect. Um, ethics is about doing the right thing, not only with data, though, but with technology and a whole bunch of other decisions. Privacy is much more narrow. Privacy is about balancing two inherently conflicting um, positions, which is that some consumers want their data to be used for certain contextualized uses and others don't. How can you drive innovation when you have inconsistency and sometimes irrationality around consumer purposes? And I think the answer is not a negative legal framework that punishes organizations who are uh, failing to comply with, with some of the laws that are you know, globally inconsistent and sometimes internally incoherent even within a, a certain jurisdiction, but rather, rather to encourage organizations to focus on a positive experience across the data value chain. And so, for example, stop changing the culture, changing, rallying for change under the armor. So rallying for asking the consumers in the data collection, how do you want your data to be used? Even if what the answer is is illegal or it creates a, a non-compliant event. Because just because you ask customers how they want their data to be used doesn't mean necessarily you're going to honor that, but you're learning context. 
And consumers are so frustrated, right? They get, they are contacted and have to re-identify themselves all over again, or they get contacted with something that makes no sense for who they are, or worse, they have a demand for personalized product and no one will create it because of fear of the you know, compliance punishment. So it's really less about ethics and security and much more about balancing in balancing conflicting policies and really how do you get it right? How do you get it right to drive innovation and more importantly, meet the demands that consumers create, which is for highly personalized services. That's really interesting. So I mean, I've I've had I've had experiences in the last few days where um, I've been making decisions about exactly these things. Like, you know, do I want these people to know where I live? I just gave a bunch of money. Wouldn't I want these people to know where I live? And and just apropos of what you've said, one of the things that they said when they asked me where I lived was they said, you know, can I find out where you live so that I can thank you for the money that you gave us? And I'm like, well, okay, that makes sense. Now, the thing is that if they violate that by then, you know, when I, when I start to get postcards asking me for more money, that's gonna that's gonna that's gonna change my feeling um but i might have forgotten that i was ever asked in the first place right by then i might be just like oh i can't believe these people they're always sending me postcards asking for money and that, that might be a different a different way of thinking about it um and this leads me to and uh, you know to to first to say you know where i we're at we're at honestly we're at one maverick maybe um and uh you know I, i'm I'm not getting farther up the scale right now, but I'm seeing how important the conversation is. One of the reasons is I keep thinking about the hegemons, right? I keep thinking about these massive juggernauts that we deal with. Um, extremely large uh, retailer whose name we will not name, but who is extremely convenient. Extremely large music provider whose name we will not name, but who is extremely convenient. Um very popular means of contacting and communicating with my friends. You know, all these 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 organizations are so enormous that um, you know at this point there is no functional um, com competition for them at this level. And so when I think about these people, I think, are they going to hear Lydia? Right? Are they going to stop and say to themselves, "Yeah, we should totally do this," or are they going to listen to? Uh, to the cop, right? Are they going to listen to the to the law rolling up in their in their corporate headquarters and saying uh, you should have followed our laws? And I and I have to say, I don't know, Lydia, that you're going to be the the voice that they bend their ear toward. What do we do about those those giants who who aren't inclined to think ethically in the way that you are laying out for them that they should? Does that make sense as a question? Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I have a couple of responses in the commercial context, in that enterprise context across um, producing, whether it's consumer goods or products and things like that. You know, the, the, the data analytics strategy uh, has many components. Uh, privacy is just one of them. Uh, but the, the primary goal of a data analytics strategy or getting to know your customer better through data is to focus on your business outcome. And if the business outcome is to maximize growth or improve customer experiences or garner more trust, then positive privacy is, is a direct link to maximizing those goals. And so I think a data analytics leader could quite easily talk to the general counsel and say, we're going to embark on 
more communications with our consumers so we can get to know them better, understand their preferences better, so we can honor them. And we'll comply with the law and we'll, you're in the loop, you're definitely part of the conversation, but we're changing the conversation. We're changing the conversation to a positive experience. And so every aspect of the company that is a data collection point, we need to revisit and we need to change our communication strategy. We need to focus on the person who's identified in the data. And because it's so challenging globally, some care about their identity being disclosed. Others could care less, but they care about confidentiality of intimate details. Others don't care about that at all, but they have an emotional reaction to the date, you know, to their own safety. So Whit, in your example about your, your location, um, that's a safety issue, right? Well, you can thank me over the phone. That's not a problem. But I just don't know why, why you didn't know where I live because I don't want, you know, to expose my location for safety reasons, right? Or whatever that may be. But that varies widely uh, across people and in different contexts. And I think the, the larger companies that are collecting a lot of this data, they are well aware of the uh, frustration of business goals when uh, personal data is not collected in a thoughtful way. So quite honestly, I think it's a persuasive argument to focus on the positive while you're still complying complying with the law. And and if I could, I just I want to add another, another um, point here, which is that you know there are a lot of examples, and this is great for the narrative for any executive that wants to adopt privacy po- positive privacy. There are a lot of use cases and a lot of business cases where the frustration of the person identified in the data has led to a negative outcome. Think in the healthcare setting. There are numerous examples of patients and families that want their personal data to be shared to spare another family of a certain uh, medical complication. And they're told they can't. It's devastating. I can't help somebody else. I mean, that frustrates innovation. It frustrates community health, it frustrates a goodwill, right? But when you focus on positive privacy, you get not only all of those things, but you are maximizing happiness across that sector and within the community of like, you know, similarly situated people if they have a certain health disease. And it's not just in health either. Um, it, it spans multiple topics. And so focusing on those narratives where there's a loss to value and to garnering trust, and there's an increase in frustration if you don't have positive privacy. I think that's pretty compelling uh, to at least have the conversation. Hmm. Well, I, I certainly know that um, I loved the part where you said that um, if I if I thought that 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 sharing details was going to help somebody, then I would leap to that um, because I think it's a great positive example. Um, I, I think I also think that uh, executives hear so many negative stories about things that go wrong, that it can make it very difficult for them to choose between risks. And so I, I think that's hard, but I really get it when you say um, there's a good use for the information that I'm about to ask you for. It could save someone's life. It could help them uh, enjoy the same music that you enjoy. It could offer them a chance to to learn the thing that, that you think is so important. So I get that. And so that's getting me up. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm up now to, to about two maybes. What if I'm an IT leader? I'm I'm an I'm, I, I manage applications, or I'm a data and analytics leader. I'm I'm a I'm a you know I'm, I'm a director in an organization, um, and I'm responsible for multiple data and analytics projects in a given year. 
or, you know, I'm, I'm actually responsible for a collection point, right? So, uh, you know, I, I'm an endpoint manager who's putting a new kind of um, point of sale in my organizations or a, or a new kind of time clock or badge in opportunity. What is this, what does this practically mean for me, Lydia? So what is the, the one thing that this person should really do as they approach their work uh, in order to satisfy this notion? I think that that's a great question. So I, I think that um, by focusing on positivity when you are supporting a data analytics initiative or driving it or enabling it, whatever your contribution is, throughout the entire um, life cycle of that strategy, I think that there should be more positivity. I think that when you focus on, so, so that leader, um, instead of checking the legal box, you know, we passed, you know, we, we got it, we got sign off or you know, we got their approval. Now we can you know, move on and, and execute is a lost opportunity. Treating it as um, just a compliance issue in that work stream um, doesn't drive much value. It doesn't drive value for the consumer. It doesn't drive value for the, for the company. And it's in part, um, and this is the point of the Maverick, is that the law is not designed, and it can't, neither can technology, control downstream And that's really the big fear around the privacy compliance is what if it is misused in some downstream situation? So the IT leader sometimes can obsessively worry about the losing control of that data, whether they're collecting it or sharing it or using it, they worry about this downstream risk, the downstream risk, if you will. And so by checking the legal box, it creates that comfort. Well, we check the compliance box. And this actually does get this, um, does get into the ethical, or the Gartner ethical framework, which is mind your compliance, you know, checking those boxes. But that's low-level compliance, uh, low-level ethics. What was really important, what the IT leaders really need to do is change the conversation first all right, approaching a data analytics program with how can I maximize value, not only to the data and the data analytics, but really tight alignment to the business outcomes. And if the business outcomes are gathering more trust, collecting more um, relevant data, and driving the customer experience, um, which we know from our research, the, the more personalized the experience is, the better the customer experience is, the more likely they are to uh, continue to be loyal as well as um, perhaps reject other solutions that may even be more costly. So it's about changing that IT leader's perspective first and then uh, working, collaborating across lines with business leaders and other leaders and the privacy folks and legal to change the conversation about how they're going to balance these competing priorities because law can't mitigate the downstream misuse and quite frankly, very few technologies kind of either. So given that, Let's look for an alternative framework while we're still checking the box. Hmm. Okay. Well, a lot of IT leaders um, uh, can take advantage of that perspective. They can bring a copy uh, of uh, of Lydia's uh, Positive Privacy Maverick Project to the next meeting, um, where they sit down and and they start to to suggest that the conversation be reframed around value in this way. Um, and certainly, positive value is is I think always better than. The idea of the negative value um, of of punishment or or of response, um, I, I think you know, d d starting over, 
um, and uh, at zero and, and building uh, positive capability is, 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 a, is a really good idea. I have to admit, I'm still right around two maybes. So this has been a, um, it's a, it's a daring concept that you lay out, Lydia, uh, to, to set this kind of ethical framework, this kind of um, customer or constituent or worker uh, positivity as the, as the, as the main beacon um, for, for these projects. And it's, it's an extraordinary notion. Um, and I think it represents a, a sense of the faith in, in human character. That's, uh, that's frankly quite affecting. Um, so I'm, I'm very grateful to you for, for bringing the conversation uh, to us today. I'm, I'm, I'm at two maybes, but I'm happy to be here and I'm, I'm very happy to have learned as much as I have. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today, Lydia. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the great conversation. It's been my pleasure. Frank. thank you again for leading the Maverick program and for joining us today. And thank you for the invitation. That was a great one. Very kind. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for joining our podcast. We'll see you in the next episode. Please subscribe and share the episode with your colleagues. Thank you for listening. Gardner Podcasts are a production of Gardner, the world's leading research and advisory company, equipping executives across the enterprise with indispensable insight, advice, and tools to achieve their mission-critical priorities. You can learn more at Gartner.com. All content in Gartner Podcasts is owned by Gartner and cannot be repurposed or reproduced without Gartner's consent. Gartner is an impartial, independent analyst of business and technology. This content should not be construed as a Gartner endorsement of any enterprise's product or services. All content provided by other speakers is expressly the views of those speakers and their organizations.